Over the course of nine years, my father, Stephen, son of Robert and Lillian, memorized over 90 quotes that he recites daily. In each podcast, a quote is randomly picked out of a hat and then discussed. Many of the quotes relate in one way or the other to the dreams course that Stephen is currently teaching. Welcome back to the Dreams Course podcast. I'm Michael, son of Judith and Stephen. I'm Stephen, son of Robert and Lillian. You know, if, before we begin, I do want to, I am giving a plug for my own show episode that I did a podcast, but I'm also doing a plug for the actual podcast itself. It's called Failing Forward, and it's with Sarah Brown. And the show is terrific. I love the idea of the show. Is the idea that when you have a failing moment in your life, that's an opportunity to open actually another door that could lead to something even better. It taught me a lot about what a good interview is because Sarah is engaged in the interview and has enthusiasm and makes it easier for the speaker to be. So when we finally get a guest on the show, uh, she taught me a lot how to be. So that's it. I'm just saying check her podcast out, Failing Forward, and the episode that I did with Sarah is episode 90. There. I'm done. But I wanted to say that. So here we are. We have a chance to reach into the hat and do a quote, or do you have anything you want to share? We're failing forward. (laughs) The show is failing forward. Let's be honest. It's a fucking failure. (laughs) Uh, okay. Well, it's that kind of enthusiasm and positive attitude that I thrive on. All right, here, here we reach in and see what we got, okay? You must watch yourself continuously, particularly the mind, moment by moment, missing nothing. This witnessing is essential for the separation of the self from the non-self. And this is... Our guru, Sri Nisargadatta Majorish. Okay, will you say it again, yeah. please? You must watch yourself continuously, particularly the mind, moment by moment, missing nothing. This witnessing is essential for the separation of the self from the non self. And I, I love that he uses the word witness. Because that's what I've been trying to learn in my meditation is not to identify with the thought that that comes up into consciousness, but to instead witness it coming into consciousness and not react to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. It reminds me of sitting by a river and it's in motion, but it's also uniform. There's a sense of order to it. You're like, oh, that's a river. Like, I can see it. But when you're in the water, say you're like floating downstream, and imagine like being one molecule of water inside of that river, it would seem like a really chaotic and confusing experience. Hmm. It's, it's important to be able to sit onto the bank, like the bank of your life, and watch yourself as the witness. I can see myself in the chaos as a molecule, but I can also see that this is a river 
going to the ocean. Yeah, are you able to do that? Sometimes. But if you think about what the quote is saying about being able to recognize the difference between the self and the non-self. Yeah. I don't want to get caught up and swept away with the net of fear and desires that comes with this sort of like temporary existence. I totally agree with that. But let me ask you a couple of questions. I'm really glad we're discussing this because this is my current struggle I'm doing because I'm trying to be that witness and not react to those content that comes into consciousness. But I was going to ask you this. One of the ways I've been, things I've been thinking about for someone who me is kind of hyperactive is images of stillness. You just gave one, the river by the side of the bank. In real life, if you were to choose something that would give you a chance to be still and quiet so you could hear the other self-voice that's within us, where would, what would that be? What would that image be, or that, or is that what it was by the river? Maybe a roll of paper towels in a field. No. <laughs> 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 um, trees have been speaking to me lately. They pay witness to a lot. Rocks are also. I swear. I swear to God, it's like how do you admit to your father that you believe rocks can talk? Yeah, I'm. A, um, I'm, I'm just making you an appointment right now with a good therapist. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, one of the biggest breakthroughs of my life is realizing rocks are conscious. I wouldn't blame you if you called the cops. <laughs> well, my son talks to rocks. Well, you, well, I like. I tell you what, I like about that is the image that trees and rocks give is just utter stillness and patience. Like the Zen rock up in Maine, it's just this huge rock for for uh, listeners. There's a huge rock near, I don't know, a quarter of a mile from our house that sits in an open field that's just gigantic. I mean, tons of rock and circular, kind of tall, taller than, than we are. And we always wonder, how did it get there in the middle of this open field? I mean, what happened to this rock? But no matter how it got there, what's amazing about it is how still it is. It's a rock. If I could have rock consciousness, wouldn't I be able to hear the self better? Yeah, like if you could ask that rock, like, how did you get here? Yeah. And then the rock would be like, chill out, young blood. That's way too many questions. Can't you see I'm resting? The problem with the rock talking back to me would be his sentences would be incredibly long, like 10 years. Yeah. It really has just been there. It's there in the winter. It's, no one notices it. It just keeps doing its rock thing. It's really, imp- yeah, it's and really then, impressive. And then eventually... It will change. You know, something will move it or something will break it, and then it goes on. We're not going to be able to see that sort of timeline through our, like, limited generational point of view. Mm -hmm. According to our guru, you can't know what's behind all this. That's impossible. With our senses, it's not going to happen. And he also says that understanding of self or God is beyond the mind, And that's hard to grasp because the mind in our lives is such a predominant nuisance, distraction in everyday life. How the hell am I meant to get beyond it? But that's the the task. The mind tries to control too much. Yeah, yeah. 
the mind is like punching itself in the nuts. You're like, are you my friend? Mind? Are you my friend? If you're my friend, you need to be quiet. Alex called that Alex Curtin, my mentor on the Parkinson's. He was saying today that the body is nature and the mind got developed out of through evolution and eventually into the neocortex and the mind kind of happened and out of the mind came the ego. And he always says, when the mind developed, it should have been, wow, look where I am. Instead it went, I am. I am strong, I am a god, I am the emperor, I am, it's all about me. The ego got developed out of the mind. Nisargadatta's premise is that the mind should have identified with the higher self, but instead identified with the body. Yeah, it's almost like we need a re-separation to get back to the place where you can exist within the body, but simultaneously be able to see that you are not your body. You're nobody. Definitely. That, that, that's exactly where I'm at right now. Yeah, but Nisargadatta takes it to the extreme. How so? Nisargadatta, he questions everything. So, for example, the sense that you're my father, he would laugh at that and say, you don't have a father. You don't have a body. Right. All right, so um, at the last sentence of this, this witnessing is essential to the separation of the self from the non-self. And that's, there it is. I mean, whatever formula gets you to do that, follow it. That you're not, you're, a, you're energy having a, in a body having a human experience, but you're not the body itself. If you identify with being the body, you're in for a lot of pain, you're in for a lot of joy, but you're mostly in for a lot of no consistency, you know, up and down. You know, as someone who is getting older, that as you approach death, you care less about your body in this way because you recognize that it's not going to last? No, I care more. Well, <laughs> doesn't that seem like a problem? No, I care more about the sense I'm aware that it's going to go, but I want to keep it as healthy as I can while I can. So it's not identifying with the body. It's just saying take care of the body. Alex once said to me, I said to him, what can I say to the body? And he says, say thank you. Because every day is trying to do and keep you healthy. Every day is working everything, your heart, your lungs, kidneys, everything. It all does is work. So just say thank you to your body. That's where I've arrived now. Most of the people in the universe, in this universe, Earth universe, are thinking their body is who they are. Yeah. And it's, you know, he, he, and he, he points out, he says something to the effect of, like, you can have a whole life thinking you're a personality in a body, you know, that that's, and have no connection whatsoever to the higher self. That, that was your existence. You know, you have no idea what's going on because you're locked into the personality and identification with, with the body. And this work, the, certainly the coursework, is to begin that process of, of moving away from that. Enjoying the body, taking care of the body, being healthy, have fun, have, do all the things you're meant to do, run, play, hike, have sex, do everything, do it all. But that doesn't mean that's who you are. That's coming back to the witness. 
you're outside of that. And that's a big thing because that's saying I'm spirit first and then I'm a body. I'm not a, a body, just a body. You know, I mean, that's a big, that's a big jump. Can we have a philosophical conversation for a second? Sure. Okay, so the body wants, right? In this plane, the body is usually defined by fears or desires. Right. And then you have all these wise words throughout history, these wisdom texts that are saying, get rid of desire and you can get rid of suffering. Contemporary musicians like David Berman making light of it, saying the end of all wanting is all I've been wanting. (laughs) And the end of all wanting is all. I want to transcend this rat race and endless cycle of suffering that comes with wanting and fear and desire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then in these kind of like moments of my life, I've started to feel like I don't want much. It's becoming more expansive how little I want. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. Here's the philosophical question, I guess. As that has happened... I also feel less attached to the sort of like emotional narratives of like relationships with people because I see close friends as people I love, but I see them as almost like reoccurring dream characters in sliver dreams of a much longer dream. That is my life. At the same time as like not identifying with your body, but at the same time showing the people in your lives that you care that they exist, you know? I think it makes the caring that much more poignant knowing everything you just said. Because it's because of of its vulnerability and because of it's a process and you still express care, that's expressing a human. We're, we're, We're human. In the Buddhist world, in Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, in the beginning, when he tries to find wisdom, he was doing kind of what you did, get rid of everything, and he became an ascetic, you know, where he 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 refused to have everything. You know, he just begged for food, no clothing, and he thought that would make him holier, and it didn't work, and he was confused. But then he made a great move. He said, that didn't work, but instead of hanging on to that idea... He said, give me the world. Give me beauty, money, women. Give me what you got. Give me what the world can offer. And he goes out and he meets Kamala, this courtesan, and he ends this huge relationship with her and he becomes a gambler and he becomes everything and money and he loses money, makes money, and comes to the conclusion that didn't work. And then he ends up by the river with the Vasudeva ferryman. And he learns over the course of time that you're neither the ascetic nor are you the, the one who's only caught by the temptations of life. You're somewhere in the middle. The middle ground is where you want. And for him, that was the river. The sound of the river is what made him realize that he started connecting to the eternal, that which never changes. So to me, I would just say the only thing is 
I think some of the beauty of life is evolving in your consciousness and then sharing it, that consciousness and that caring with others is kind of a beautiful expression. Yeah, you kind of have to get in the muck for that, though. Well, huh? yeah, you have to be in the muck. And then one day you turn and say, I'm not going to do that. Mostly someone like you or someone like me, I've, I've been, I haven't been as far out on the ascetic part as you, but I've certainly been more in the life part than you. Or when I say life, I meant relationships and marriages and children and all that kind of Pain. stuff. Pain and ambition and, you know, all that. I've been there. Death. Well, not <laughs> yes. Death. Yes. No, you're you've had way closer yes. connection to to death, and that yeah. becomes its own obstacle because then the body, of course, fears death. You know, because it it doesn't. That's what it thinks it is. I mean, if you think of the equation, if you identify with your body, what a horrible existence! Because you know the body's going to break down; it's going to have problems, and eventually it's going to decay and die. So you're identifying with that. That's pretty negative. Yeah, you know how that one's going to end. We're pretty stupid. Yeah, yeah, very stupid. We invented clocks. Yeah. Who's that benefit? <laughs> I've been there. We've all been there. But I think the ascetic yeah. question is a good one. I think it, the danger of the ascetic way is you can end up making so small that you don't connect at all. And then that's kind of sad. I think. I think being connected in an inner life and then putting that out in the world, sharing that with the world is kind of a good formula. That's certainly what the course is. The course is awareness combined with action equals empowerment. Show the spirit belongs in the world because show how it acts when the spirit's in charge, not when the body. When the yeah. spirit's running the show, see what it does. As you strip everything away, all that's really left is that fire, that symbolic of the spirit. Yeah, keeping it alive. That's a pretty good purpose. And you've said this for some reason. I've always asked this question. The spirit seems in almost every situation to be the underdog. It's not the first thing we choose, even though it brings you eternity. It brings you a sense of non-anxiety. It, it, it does not engage in fear. And yet we refuse this wisdom, but that goes along with people in their dreams. How many people even bother to think about their dreams in the morning? You're making movies in your head every night, and you're not paying attention because you want to get down to see Fast Furious 8. You're more interested in that than the movie that's going on in your brain that you're the star director and actor in. How bizarre is that? We should be sitting down in the morning and sharing dreams and connect the dreams with our stories and set up the day with the possibility of what's to come based on what your dream life has been. That would be a family breakfast. You need time. Yeah, and we're in, we're in a world that is r rushing you out the door and rushing you back and getting you ready to rush out again. Yeah, sorry, babe. I'm, I'm late for work. I'll just take the waffles for the car. What about sharing dreams? No, uh, well, come we'll do on. Does that pay the bills? It's it's what happens when an entire culture is body-oriented. And so, therefore, because it's body and not spirit, it's also going to be awfully, terribly selfish at times. 
You need people along the road to every once in a while stop and say, keep coming, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're finding your way. But I feel lost. I don't know. Just trust yourself. Yourself is wonderful. It's waiting for you. We need those voices. We're human. And if no one ever speaks those words to us, then we're kind of stuck in ignorance. We need someone, you know, in, in the book, Damien, he had his teacher, Pistorius. And without Pistorius, he couldn't have moved to the next level of finding his self. We, you know, I mean, I think being a mentor and having, I've had mentors and they made all the difference in my life. So if a mentor stands up and, and I'm giving a eulogy for a mentor, I'm not talking about his Cadillacs and his house, houseboat. I'm talking about how at a time when things were rough for me, he made a difference to, to shine a light that I kept moving forward. Thank you. A life to me that doesn't connect the spirit and being here on the planet is no life. It's no life. I've had that life. It's great. Some great experiences. But it's not... Young said, he said, you know, I'm, I'm astonished, I'm depressed, disappointed, and, and pleased with myself. I'm distressed, <laughs> depressed, and rapturous. I'm all these things, and the sum doesn't add up. You know, all the different things that we are. But ultimately, it's the human experience, and the more conscious you are, the more human we become, I think. Do we have anything else yeah. on that thing we need to say? It's a, it, it's a it's a, for me, it's a very timely because I'm really trying to connect with the witness thing you talked about. I liked, I liked your description, by the way, of the experience of being on the side bank and, being, and the difference with that of being in the water. And it's hard to be in the water, like, which is life, being alive, and also keep a kind of perspective because the water is moving quickly and it changes every moment. Neither perspective is singularly true. Right. They're, they're simultaneously true in that that sense of perspective is, is unlimited too. You can you know, turn a rock over and there's another person's consciousness. So it makes sense why Buddha is called the one who's all seen. And then the duality doesn't make sense. Because you can see beyond it. You actually rise above that duality, which is what Campbell's been talking about in this book, Joseph Campbell, just about see past the duality and that you can simultaneously feel connected to the spiritual oneness of all existence while also being like, my knee hurts and my back hurts and I want a better face. Pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Buddha. You know, if you're alive, you're alive, it's a hard task. But um, I think what I loved about Siddhartha after he realized the ascetic life wasn't coming, he just walked down the street and he started noticing the colors and the beauty of trees and everything. And he allowed himself to perceive as someone not afraid of the world, but as someone, a spirit who's in the world. And then he said, bring it on. What do you got? I'm going to experience everything. I want to be on the ascetic side. I want to be on the full living side. 
he did it all. He did the he lived the duality, and then he figured out how to transcend it. But it took Hess when he wrote the story of Siddhartha. He actually got um, writer's block for almost two years. Couldn't finish it, and he went to Carl Jung, and he had I think four appointments with Jung, and he walked to the appointments every day, like a ten mile walk. They didn't live in the same city, so he must have stayed in a hotel. And he did a ten minute, ten mile walk, and then he'd have these sessions with Jung. And one day, Hess goes, "This is our last session," and Jung says, "Well, we're just starting." He said, "No, but I know the end of the book now." And Jung said, but that doesn't take care of the neurosis. And he said, I don't care about that. I just want to finish the novel. <laughs> and off he went and he wrote. And what he added into that is he gave Siddhartha a child. And the great moment that this book becomes clear is when he became Siddhartha, he was, you know, he, he was a, a, what do you call it? He was a Brahmin. And his father saw him as raising, rising high. He was a beautiful man, tall and handsome and powerful and was going to own a kingdom. And his father was grooming him. And Siddhartha laughed at him, not laughed at him, but disrespected him and didn't follow that path and went out and threw everything away and became an ascetic. And what Hess does in the third thing is he gives him a son. And the son rejects Siddhartha. So he gets to feel what his father felt when he did it to him. <laughs> That's beautiful, but um, are you saying that you feel rejected by me? You got to be a lot. Ni- you got to be a lot nicer to me. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, with the great point he made, and he realized if you don't go through the suffering of. What happens when you love a child and they don't love you back to feel the pain? Because that's what his father felt. And he realized he's in the cycle. He's, he, he just is in a circle. He's in a circle. And he finally can only become free when he realizes the pain that he's done to others and experiences it. And then it's a hard lesson, but it allowed him to move on to become integrated and lose the, world, the duality world and see the oneness and beauty of everything. All right. Well, thank you, Sri Nizergod Datta, for allowing us to spend time with your one thought. You have so many wonderful ones. And uh, I enjoyed this, Mikey. Yeah, it reminds me to open up the doors in my house and let things breathe again. When things start to get stuffy, just open the fucking doors. (laughs) I like that. All good. The Dreams Course is a one-on-one program done through phone calls with Stephen using dream interpretation and reading Herman Hesse's Damien. If you would like to contact Stephen, please visit the Dreams Course website at thedreamscourse.org or email him at thedreamscourse at yahoo.com. Again, that is thedreamscourse.org or email him at thedreamscourse at yahoo.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and come back for the next episode. We have many, many more quotes to get to. Thank you.